Well, I'm so glad to be back. Let me tell you, that first week I was off, I didn't really feel like I was off. We had all kinds of activities and things like that, but man, graduating is awesome because I can sleep. I slept. I slept and I feel good. So uh, I really appreciate you uh, letting me um, have that time away and uh, feel recharged and energized and glad to be here. And the, the, you know, we're wrapping up our series on graduation speeches, which I thought, hey, this is kind of cool. It worked out, this timing thing. You know, God's amazing that way. But we're going to be looking at at a very important threshold moment in the life of the church. The church, of course, we're celebrating the birthday of the church today. And this is a really important one because this is Apostle Paul. We're going to be looking at Paul in the book of Acts, Acts 20. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app on your phone, I'd love for you to fire that up and turn to chapter 20. We're going to be looking at verses 17 through 35. And let me set this up a little bit for you because Paul has done all of this work. He's gone on three missionary trips and he's traveled all throughout the region where he's from. And he has uh, done church starts and he's proclaimed the gospel message of Christ. And he's done all this thing. And along the way, Paul has been taking up an offering along this trip, an offering And he's gathered this offering in all of these churches. And it's to aid those in Jerusalem who are suffering from a famine that is there. And so Paul is going to go with an entourage of his own missionaries, probably to just make sure everybody knows that the business side is on the up and up. He's going to go to Jerusalem and deliver this offering to the church. But before he does that, he stops in a town called Miletus, and he invites the elders of the church in Ephesus to come, and other leaders and and, and people in the community And he's going to give what will be his final speech to them here on earth. So this is a very, very important passage. So I'd like for you to join me in Acts 20, verses 17. I'll be reading from the NIV. Here it goes. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And when they arrived, he said to them, You know how I've lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim, my only aim, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. 
Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions in everything I did. I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, thank you for these words from your apostle Paul, God. Lord, may your spirit be poured out here among us and among your children. May they search us and may they compel us to share your good news. In Jesus' name, amen. Like I said, it's his final speech. He'll never see them again. It's, it is the conclusion of his work among them, and it is the only speech in all of Acts that Paul directly addressed Christian believers. They were leaders in their respective communities that worked alongside others in public life. And as Christians, they were called and set apart, not by Paul, but by God. So I want to ask you a very important question, church. What makes you a leader in public life? Now, I know for a fact that however many numbers of people there are in this room right now, I'm going to get as many answers that are going to vary and be different. I would venture to guess that. Some of you would probably give me the name of the job title that you hold with an employer, for instance, that that makes you a manager or a director, a team leader or a consultant, and so on. Some of you might suggest your household status. I'm an aunt or I'm an uncle or I'm a dad or a mom or a grandparent or a great-grandparent. Some of you might say, I'm a leader because of that age thing. I'm old enough to be your mama or your daddy, right? <laughs> Our son, you're just a little wet behind the ears. Sit down, you greenhorn. You throw around labels like baby boomers and millennials or the newer, more friendly, generationally inclusive term perennials. 
others of you might think of leadership from the standpoint of gender. Yeah, that's right. I'm the man of this house. Or you ladies, yeah, but every head needs a neck, right? And I turn the neck. I've heard that one so many times. Or you might even make this about a financial thing. Yeah, I'm the breadwinner. Let me tell you, friends, the only thing I got in my pocket is keys. Thank you, Rachel. Appreciate that. Still others of you might view your leadership from a very shallow place like looks. That happens, right? King and queen of the prom. Privilege. I live in Preston Hollow. Race. Orientation. Any other number of toe-deep views of leadership. And let me assure you that while all of those are certainly ways that you can construe leadership in the church, we arrive at that very differently, very differently. Paul addresses these elders in his parting words to them and explains how he expects the church to run after he's gone. Now, I don't intend to go anywhere, okay? You're not sending me anywhere, are you? In fact, I I fully expect to be reappointed this coming week. We're about to attend our conference, our annual conference. Thank God. I'm hoping (laughs) that I'll be at LLUMC for another year, and I fully expect that. So barring anything unforeseen. But as your pastor modeling after Paul in Acts 20 for his churches, I am urging us this morning to pay very close attention, very close attention to what we are doing concerning our own spiritual condition. And I want to challenge all of us to view leadership as a church appropriately. My hope for us is that we understand leadership and authority not in terms of age, not in terms of gender or orientation or financial status or skin color or pocketbook or even popularity but of possessing a renewed mind by the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ, the Lord. Plain and simple. Understanding this message and this word today requires that we understand what constitutes a leader in God's eyes. God is in the business of making things new. (laughs) Our minds were created by God. And therefore, God is the one who renews our minds. If we want a mind that loves God and loves others as God commands, then our minds must be renewed by God. It is our relationship and submission to Christ and our openness to the activities of the Holy Spirit that make us leaders in this context, at this time. All of those other things, the status and the gender and the race and the popularity and the good licks, God can and will use those and you despite them. But they are always ways that we use to divide. What sets us, the church, apart is the ongoing renewal of our minds, of our hearts, of our souls in this community of worship, which fosters our relationship with God, 
while prompting us to co-labor with God's own spirit to encourage others to do the same. We are equipped in this endeavor at Crosswalk Worship at LLUMC in a very specific way, and we're going to talk about how we communicate that today. We want to review that. We want to get in sync with one another. For those of you who have been here for a long time and for uh, members, you're going to find this a good kind of in sync moment. For those of you who are new, you're going to welcome to your orientation. Because doing this will help us in our ministry and in our mission. The first thing that guides us, and I want you to wait on the media for just a second. The first thing that guides us around here at Crosswalk is we have a very clear mission statement. If you know it, let's say it together. Our mission is to... You got an A plus on that. Our mission is to love all people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then kind of kicking out a little bit from that, this church is guided as a church in a very specific way through the vision of this church. And I want you to memorize this vision statement with me. Because you embody it so well, Crosswalk. One diverse community. One diverse community. Boy, that is, that is you. One diverse community doing three things. Passionately engaging the Bible, which is what we're doing right now. Uplifting Jesus in worship and loving service. You saw worship, you saw service this morning. And challenging in love that which divides, which is why I'm making this a question about leadership today. Now, we do something else around here. We give an offering, and we're very specific about how we give an offering around here. Five things. What are they? Prayers, presents, gifts, service, witness. Okay, So the offering that we make collectively to God in submission to Christ with a renewed mind is through our prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness. And the expectations that we have of a leader in this community out of this context is like a three-footed stool. We do it by worship, by learning, and engaging worship, small group, and service activity. Let me kick that out a little bit. Worship means that we adopt a particular lifestyle led by the Holy Spirit, which we've been talking about all morning so far, and submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's the lifestyle that we adopt. We worship together as a discipline so that we are fed by the scriptures and the message, nurtured in community with one another. And together, we witness the fullness of Jesus Christ through this big corporate expression of worship to God. Our worship should give us an appetite to go deeper and to hunger to know God more richly. That's how we should worship. 
If we're not worshiping that way, we need to change the way we're worshiping so that we seek to learn more. We learn by learning around here. What we mean is that if we acknowledge and we respond to God's love as we journey through life and as we encounter life's lessons, and we do that in the accountability of a small group. That can be Sunday school, that can be a topical small group that is being offered, but it means that we corporately crave to seek God and to know God ferociously and that we become intentional about knowing God profoundly. On the one hand, this deeper experience of God satisfies us and it leads us to gratitude and even deeper worship. And on the other hand, it increases our desire to respond to God with acts of reconciliation and therefore the Spirit leads us to opportunities to serve others. Just as this mission team is about to go serve others. That was the truth with Jesus' ministry. That was the truth with Paul's ministry. And here in 2017, it is the truth about Crosswalk's ministry. We were made for such a time as this. <laughs> this. Never forget why we learn. Never let it grow old or dim in your heart that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And in this truth, it's welling up inside of us and it spills out of our lives and into the lives of others as we engage. Engage is the other foot of our stool. Engage means that our lifestyle of worship and learning overflows as action onto the mission field. <laughs> Some of the mission is internal, such as prayer and evangelism and congregational care. Some of it is external, volunteering at you know, everybody's Christmas or Promise House or El Salvador or Haiti or Kenya. We go to a lot of places. It is in this engagement that God reaches people through us and our corporate ministry and assures them that they are seen and loved and cared for extravagantly by God through God's family which they are invited to be a part of because through Christ's blood, by the power of the Spirit, the church was purchased. We must be crystal clear on these matters. We have a mission that holds us accountable in our day-to-day -day ministry of loving We have a corporate offering of Prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness. And we have a vision that we accomplish through worship, learn, and engage. This is how God's Spirit renews the minds 
of our specific church, in our specific denomination, in this world, in the United States of America, in Texas, in Dallas, in Preston Hollow, at 9200 Inwood Road. I finally learned that. So let me say this regarding our commitment to a renewed mind, heart, and soul. And this is what Paul says to his congregation. To the extent that we remain faithful to God in worship, learn, engage, can we expect others to do the same? That's convicting. If we're not hungry for God... We cannot expect others to be hungry for God. If we're not living for God, we cannot expect others to live for God. If we're not loving all, we cannot expect others to love all. Oh, that stings. If we are not committed to worship, learn, and engage, we cannot expect others to worship, learn, and engage, period. We have the Apostle Paul here today delivering a threshold speech, a commencement address of sorts. And as we head into our second year of ministry together, he delivers this first point, you do you first. You do you first. Look after yourself spiritually. You can only expect others to be as spiritually fit as you are spiritually fit. You can only expect others to be faithful to God as you are faithful to God. Now, that might sting a little. It might sting a lot. And if it doesn't sting, good for you. That is part of the truth of God's word for us today. And God can work that through us if we will be spirit-led. So now that we understand who Paul is addressing in this, let's figure out how we are to give. In verse 19, Paul says it very specifically. Serving the Lord with great humility and with tears. You know, that's kind of an interesting, almost like an oxymoron, great humility. (laughs) Great humility. What does great humility look like. I don't believe that Paul's tears were for himself, even though he talks about the context that this goes down in the midst of a lot of testing. He says that his tears were in the midst of severe testing, but I don't believe it's because of it. His tears were different. His tears were the tears that he cried for his converts. It was great humility because it wasn't about him. It was about them. Paul had, years before, persecuted these very people. But God transformed his heart by breaking it on their behalf. And I wonder if God is trying to do the same thing with us right here today. I don't know about you, but there's nothing and no one that breaks my heart more than those that are living with a false sense of hopelessness. And I say that because I've been there many times before. Haven't you? You get into that place that you can hardly see a way out of and you start to doubt and then doubt turns to fear and then fear turns to panic and then panic turns into hopelessness. And then the feelings of anxiety and depression 
increase. Paul's humility was great because his broken heart revealed the true heart of God for God's own children. He loved them. Paul loved them. He loved them all. He loved the Jews because he was one. He loved the Gentiles. He loved the church at Corinth. He loved the Philippians enough to expose some as enemies of the cross. Paul loved them deeply. Boy, I think Paul would love you crosswalk. I do. I think Paul would love the ministry that you're doing together. I certainly do. Here's how Paul does it, though. He lifts up in verse 21 two things, repentance and faith. Paul reminds the church, the Christian leaders living beside those who are outside of the faith, that the work is house to house and that they aren't supposed to be proselytizing in some very weird way. You ever had that happen to you? Like I remember, I wasn't a believer yet, but somebody woke me up at eight o'clock on a Saturday morning and asked me if I had found Jesus. And I was like, I didn't know he was lost. Slam. We're supposed to do it relationally with a testimony that involves repentance to God for sins and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've ever YouTubed or Googled these, but cardboard testimonies, go and check that out online. And you're going to see the transforming power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit working in the lives of people. Real simple how they describe in just a few words how they were and then how they are. Check that out, cardboard testimonies. Verse 24, Paul says another way that we do this, how we do it, is testifying to the good news of God's grace. We're going to make that simple this morning. Paul uses image of running a race. He'll use it again just before he dies. It's his hallmark of his graduation speeches. He testifies of the good news of God's grace. We will all have different ways of talking about God's grace. United Methodists talk about God's grace in terms of provenient, justifying, and sanctifying grace. Provenient grace. This is how I talk about it because I'm a musical person. I'm wired that way, so I identify grace musically. To me, provenient grace is like a pair of noise cancellation headphones in a vast, busy world of competing sounds. God's provenient grace is that grace that's existed and it's deafening those other sounds so that you can hear God. <laughs> so that you can perceive God. All of God. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In my own conversation, as I elected to put on the provenient grace noise cancellation headphones more and more frequently through the voice of the Spirit of God, I came to know myself as a sinner in need of saving. Now, for some, that is an aha moment. For me, uh, I was on a church staff for three years, <laughs> and it just kind of happened over time. 
Eventually, I was convinced that Jesus Christ was God's complete revelation of God's self and that Christ was the fullest expression of God's love for all. (laughs) That's justifying grace. It's also our mission statement. Now, in my most peaceful and faithful moments, the Spirit is guiding and transforming me through the renewal of my mind because as I remain confident in who Jesus is and what Jesus did. Before him, I was confused. That would be what's on my cardboard testimony. I was confused. Now, I'm getting more clear. That's sanctifying grace, and it is a beautiful, purpose-filled, meaningful adventure And the Holy Word says it's going to last forever. (laughs) So put it in your words, but learn to testify of the good news of God's grace, okay? And then Paul says, keep watch over yourselves and over all the flock. Paul is challenging them to love and be concerned for one another, which should be a responsibility that we all willingly shoulder, That means that we must accept that each of us has something that God wants us to do here. If any of us is unclear, then we must pray for discernment. But caring and being genuinely concerned for each other does not mean come here for an extended amount of time and take and take and take and consume and be entertained and never give anything of yourself and then split because you don't like someone or you haven't developed any authentic relationships with other people or you are concerned with how much you are being fed. If you can't find something to eat that will nourish your spirit around Lover's Lane United Methodist Church, then you must be a stone-cold dead zombie. I'm serious. I've never seen a more vibrant church. I love this church. But this church and the universal church, both of ancient times and of now, came at a price. And that's lifted up in verse 28. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. The church's value was determined and acquired on the cross (laughs) through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Dear ones, our sense of responsibility and willingness to participate must be born out of our understanding that God does not value us on our popularity or on our good looks or on our pocketbooks. Our value was determined and acquired on the cross where God gave up God's own self, broken bread. With the shed blood of Jesus Christ, poured out wine. And in doing so, God assumes us who believe into God's body. We are the body of Christ. We are the work of God and God's most prized legacy. We are the children of God. That is what we are shepherding. That is what is at stake. That is what we are responsible for. And that is, is why we should be willing to do what God has called us to do. This is the very heart of Paul's commencement address. It is what his graduation speech is about. It is what his ministry is about. 
It is what his conversion and life as a Christian leader is about. He considers it all nothing and is willing to sacrifice himself, lock, stock, and barrel because he knows whose he is. Do you? Are you convinced? What is it going to take? And then Paul offers this last little closing nugget. Be on your guard in verse 31. There are those amongst us and who are yet to come who will reject the authority of your leaders. They are like savage wolves who seek to destroy and kill. They rejected Jesus, therefore they rejected our mission to love all. They are false teachers. They wouldn't know love if Jesus himself was doing the loving. And don't be too quick to rule yourself out here. It's easy. It's easy to fall into this. It's easy to be a wolf. But they will deceive you and lead you right out of the door of this place, likely never to return. Maybe not even to the church. They can come from the inside or the out. And I assure you, they will distort the truth. The point is, stay on guard. Our worship, learn, and engage model will sharpen your discernment. It will. That's how we're going to sharpen our discernment. This isn't said to make us fear. It's said to make us aware. And then in verse 32, Paul says, it's all because it's an inheritance among all those who sanctified. Now, evangelizing is kind of a weird word. We don't tend to think of that very um, favorably. So I'm going to change that word for crosswalk. We're not going to say evangelizing. We're going to say good newsing. Oh, that sounds much more happy, right? We're going to be about good newsing around here. Will you do that with me? Can we do that in our second year of ministry together? Can we be the people of Lovers Lane United Methodist Church in Dallas, Texas that are about good newsing? Can it be good news for now? Please tell me I don't have to fly away to glory to have some good news. Please tell me that they don't have to put me six feet under and grow daisies up over me before I get any good news. Can it be good news now? Let's make these things central in our lives and go about the business of good newsing others. (laughs) Because then we're not just good newsing them, but we're good newsing us too. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for all of the things that you're doing. Thank you. We celebrate the birthday of your church and all that you have done over so much time. Look at what you've done. Look at your church. You asked us to go and make all nations followers of Christ, and that's what we're here doing. God, thank you for all, for your spirit, for your son, for the purchase of this church that we stand in. Thank you, God, that we get to be part of the body of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.